Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Many times through the years we have been confronted, all of us, with situations, peril, pain, problems, whatever they may be. And if we're not careful, even as much as we know about God and his word and the strength and the power of prayer, we can really fail to pray. Yeah. Just in the, in the instant of that confrontation of problems, I don't know how many times through the years I've asked people, have you prayed about this? And it almost seems like an insulting question, but if we're not careful... In the rush and the hurried, busy pace of life, we can just try to sort through things ourselves. And tonight, I just am not going to take a formal text, but I will be speaking to you about the life of a man by the name of Joshua. We will end up in Joshua 9. We're going to start out in Genesis 1. We'll end up in Joshua 9. <laughs> but uh, I want to just pose this question, this critical question. Have you prayed about it? When asked about the authenticity of the word of God, one well-known critic acknowledged the fact that one of the things that he thought lent credibility to the word of God, even though he was somewhat an agnostic, his take on the word of God was the fact that the Bible took no pain to hide the weaknesses of its characters. And so we'll talk about David in his good times and in his bad times. And somewhat uh, due to that, in his mind and opinion, that became what some skeptics call the ring of authenticity. When skeptics look at scripture, they may not believe it and they may not obey it, but they have to admit that there is a ring of authenticity to the scripture because the Bible talks about all of its heroes in their good times and in their low times. And if we're being honest, if we had been tasked with, a, with writing the Bible or rewriting something akin to the Bible, we would probably at a very minimum take the extra pains to polish up a few of the edges of some of these characters so that we didn't just shine them to another generation in a complete negative light. I'm not sure how we would do it, but I think we would feel somewhat compelled to shine a more positive light on a few people, especially in their dark times. But the scripture just talks to us plainly about David and his anointing and the power of God upon his life. And it also talks to us in a great deal about his scandalous affair. We see Elijah not only on Mount Carmel, but the also, also the writer includes him sitting under a juniper tree saying it is enough, just take my life. We read about Jonah's 
temper tantrum and Simon Peter's denial, even to go so far as to say that he cussed a little bit around the fire to kind of blend in, sound like one of the guys. We read about Judah's betrayal, even after the Lord said, he's right here in this room. And this was not a room of 1,500. It was a small handful of people. He's right here in this room. And so if we were going to tell the story, we would most likely, I'm just thinking that in our compassion, we would try to, to just gloss over a few of those uglier details. But the Bible is completely unapologetic about showing the faults and the sins, the weaknesses and the failures of its characters. As a matter of fact, most of the people that we call heroes of faith, what Hebrews 11 lists as the roll call of the heroes of faith. If you look back through their lives, you can find them high and you can find them extremely low. Perhaps there's a multiple messages tucked away in, in, in all of this and, and maybe it's God's way of just reminding all of us that the Lord is not just trying to find perfect people to use them, but God is just looking for available people. Amen. I believe that God heals broken people and then he can use those same broken vessels or formerly broken vessels to help bring the gospel to others and help heal them. Amen. Now, most of the main characters of the Bible failed in some major fashion. Many of them failed, not just in a big way, but many of them, many of them failed in a very public fashion. Yet God used them for his glory anyway. Just beyond that, not despite their sin, but because of their repentance and because of their brokenness. Of course, everybody doesn't, their story doesn't end that way. We know that Judas, in his failure to repent, hung himself. But, but Simon Peter, in his repentance, went out wet bitterly and wound up with the keys of the kingdom. And certainly not to say that failure or some great huge sin is a prerequisite to be used of God because nothing could be further from the truth. But I am thankful that God uses imperfect people. There's one character of the New Testament, or the Old Testament rather, and that's the man that I want to center around this evening. And it just seems like that in the life of Joshua, that he got everything right, so it seems. Joshua, he served and assisted Moses. We would assume that a man of the character of Joshua would certainly be a man highly pedigreed and he would be multiple generation of, of, of somebody that was highly favored and used of God. But in truth, the Bible says very little about the upbringing of Joshua. We know nothing about his father except that his name was none, N-U-N. So Joshua's dad was as unknown as Joshua was well-known. So we don't, we don't have this long blue ribbon pedigree line and now at the end of this is the outcome of Joshua. We don't really know much, very much about him at all. But in the absence of all of these facts, we along with Joshua realize that the call of God is not just to a select few and the call of God is for those that will lift their hand and say, God, despite my brokenness and despite my scars and despite everything I've been through, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. And so if your family has been in the church for decades and, and uh, God has placed his hand of approval upon you, amen, that's one thing. But if your family doesn't even believe in God and if they oppose your very presence being in the house of the Lord tonight, I want to tell you that the call, of God, the call of God is still for you as well. The first time we meet Joshua, Moses handpicked him to lead troops against Israel's new enemy, 
the Amalekites. Joshua led the men to battle while Moses climbed the mountain. And in the end of the battle, Israel and Joshua won. It was a wonderful ending. Next, we see Moses handpicking Joshua again for another journey. This time, they're gonna climb a mountain again, except Moses left Joshua just a portion of the way up the mountain, and he climbed on up to the top of the mountain, and there he had an incredible encounter with the Lord. When Moses came back down from the mountain, he had two tables of stone in his hands, and Joshua, and he joined themselves together and were making their way down to the bottom of the camp. When they started out, they both heard the noise of the camp. Now for Joshua, because he was young and innocent, he thought it was war, but no, Moses knew better. Amen, he knew it was sin. Joshua walked down with Moses to see God's own people, his very elect, dancing naked and unrestrained in front of a golden calf that they themselves had, had created. Later, Joshua went with Moses into the tabernacle to talk to God. And even when Moses came out of the tent, it was Joshua that stayed behind. He lingered a little while because I believe something in his heart said, if God is in this house, I want to abide in the presence of God for just a little while longer. Then we come to the place of scripture where decades pass and we don't even see or hear anything about Joshua. It's just years of day to day I don't have any idea because the Bible is silent, but it must have been just years of day to day faithfully living for God and leading God's people. And then Moses and Israel come to the border of the promised land. And once again, Moses handpicks Joshua to go with 11 others to spy out the promised land. You know the story well. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that came back with a good report and with faith that said, we can take this land. However, their faith-filled vote for yes was woefully overshadowed by the other 10 naysaying voices of doubt. And their price came by walking in endless circles for four decades. And in that time, everyone from that generation died, everyone except Joshua and Caleb. Now it was time for Moses to meet God for good. This is the end of his days. He's come to the end of his journey and, and, and Israel is gonna need a new leader. And so for them, it would seem like the choice is obvious. It's Joshua. He has to be the man for the job. He has faithfully followed Moses. He has faithfully served the people. And so he is now positioned to follow Moses, chosen by God to fill the shoes of his spiritual hero. What an incredible moment this had to be, not only for Joshua, but for the children of Israel. Joshua led Israel across Jordan's river on dry ground. We know the story, so symbolic of that crossing of the Red Sea with Moses. Joshua led Israel to an underdog victory against a great walled city that we know as Jericho. It was an impossibility of impossibilities, but God said to Joshua, Tell the people to march around the walls of Jericho. The system, it seemed flawed. The, the manner, it just seemed completely out of order to just march and don't say anything. And then on the seventh day, march seven times and then blow the trumpet and shout 
It doesn't seem at all that that would be what you would find on the chalkboard of someone that was going to war. This doesn't seem like a war strategy at all, but it was what God told Joshua to do, and it's what Joshua in turn told the people to do, and it's what the people did. And the end result of that is that God honored their faith and their trust and confidence in him. And that great walled city came down flat and they took Jericho. It was Joshua who sought the Lord and and discovered sin, amen, the wrongdoing that led Israel to win the war again at Ai. Joshua seemed to always get it right. He was God's man, God's man for the hour. Now he was the leader of God's people. He would be the one to lead them ultimately to the promised land that we first ever read about in Genesis chapter 12. To date, Joshua seemingly could do no wrong. But then we come to Joshua 9. Joshua chapter 9. The carnage of Jericho, the ruin of Ai were all stories that filled every home, not just the homes of the children of Israel, but it was the stories that filled the homes of all of Canaan. It was this new nomadic nation that was slowly but surely marching through. The Bible talks about it being little and by little am I going to give you Canaan. You're gonna take it a day at a time, a battle at a time, but it is yours, it belongs to you. And we know that the story went ahead of them because we know of stories like Rahab the harlot said, we've heard about your God and all the things that he's done for Israel. And so you can know in the absence of the internet, in the absence of Fox News and CNN, that the word was going ahead of the children of of Israel. They're coming and they're marching and they're taking victory wherever they go. And so now in Joshua chapter nine, The news reached Gibeon because Gibeon wasn't far away. They knew they were next. They knew that they would be the next one on the list because it was as though a mighty army were marching from Tennessee southward and and now they're in Georgia and they're about Atlanta. Well, if they're coming south, you know, we got enough sense to do a little math and realize that we're probably on cue for what's about to take place. And so Gibeon knew that they're coming. They're gonna take us. They knew they were next. And so they knew if a city like Jericho fell, that they didn't stand a chance. They knew if God could reveal the things that were going on in Ai, that sure enough, they themselves would just be another mark, another notch on their belt. Amen. So they came up with a plan. It was a plan to make peace with Joshua. And so it was really a wily plan, a slippery plan. They loaded their donkeys down, but they didn't load them down without a strategy. They loaded them down with old weathered saddlebags. They loaded them down with old weathered wine skins. They put on wore out shoes. They put on wore out clothes. And they even packed in their bags loaves of dry and moldy bread. This was a sinister plot. Amen. They rode out to meet Joshua. And Gibeon was the capital city of the Hivites and it was the next city they were coming to. 
but when they rode in, they introduced themselves not as being inhabitants of the next town over. They didn't introduce themselves of, you know, we're in the county adjoining you, but they made out that we're from hundreds and hundreds of miles from here and we heard about this and we want to introduce ourselves and they let them know that news of Israel's God had reached all the way to where they were. Amen. They came with this preemptive strike for peace. I want to say again, it was a sinister plan. Don't ever discount the plan of the enemy. Amen. Joshua and all of his men were completely blindsided because of the way the enemy approached them. They were prepared for somebody to come out with chariots and horses and shields and swords and spears. They were prepared for somebody to come out all ready for war, but they weren't prepared for somebody to come out and acting like they were their friend. Joshua and his men were completely caught off guard by the all by the charade, by the by the show that they were about to see. They brought with them all the things that I mentioned a moment ago. All their utensils were worn. Their clothes were tattered and worn. Their shoes were worn. They brought out the moldy bread. And they, they told them, you, said, you see this bread? This bread was fresh when we left home. Why? Well, we had a hard time even getting it down in the bags. It was so hot coming out of the oven. But look now, it's just old and moldy and cold and grown over. Amen. They assured them that when we left home, these wineskins that you see all drawn up and dried out, while these wineskins, they were fresh and they were soft and pliable. Amen. It said in chapter Nine in verse number 14 that it talks about the Israelites that looked at the bread and they looked at the wineskin. They looked at the condition of everything they were present, being presented. If you please, it was what one person might say. It was a great event of show and tell. It was just a little, it was just a little skit, just a little sketch. And so they began to look at all of those things and those things convinced them that everything was all right. It was right here that Joshua signed the dotted line. It was right here that Joshua agreed that we'll give you peace. But if you read that passage of scripture, the Bible says that they didn't seek God. They didn't pray to God. They didn't ask God about anything. They just simply took what the enemy was offering them and they signed the dotted line. And this was perhaps and maybe the only place where we see that chink in the armor of Joshua. Before this, when Joshua prayed, God always answered him and told him what to do, which tells me that if you're gonna make a major decision in your life, amen, I believe that we ought to always ask ourselves, have we prayed about this? Have we really prayed about this? Now, it's hard to pray sometimes about a new car when you're sitting behind the wheel smelling that new leather. Hard to pray a sincere prayer like that. Amen, it's, you can get caught up in the moment and it's, it's hard to pray. We gotta ask ourselves, have we really prayed about this? Have we really asked God to help us? I need to pray and ask the Lord to guide me and direct our steps. If you're gonna buy a new home, we certainly should pray about that. If you're gonna take another job, amen, we should pray and ask God what we should do. Everywhere that Joshua prayed, God always gave him a plan. God said, this is what you do. It was specific. When you come to the river of Jordan, he said, when you get there, just keep marching. It was so specific that he said, it's not gonna be like 
It's not gonna be like it was when it was with Moses. Moses held out his rod and the wind started blowing. There was a little bit of a delay in the story of the Red Sea. He held out his rod, the wind started blowing and then the water became walled and the dry became ground. But he said, you just take up and you tell the priest to keep marching and as soon as the sole of the feet of the priest hit the water, then it's gonna become dry ground and you're gonna march over. God was so specific when they lost the battle. I mentioned Jericho already, but when they lost the battle of Ai, Joshua is scratching his head. He's wondering what is going on. We've climbed way higher mountains and we have conquered way greater battles. Then tell us what's going on. And the Lord began to reveal to him there's sin in the camp. And if you'll get the sin out of the camp, if you'll discover where the sin is, then I'll come back and victory will be yours. And there it was. Sure enough, just a little silver and things buried underneath the tent. Amen, there it was. There was the hindrance to victory in their life. God so specifically moved in the life of Joshua. And now they're standing and they're facing an enemy, a potential enemy, and they get caught up. They get caught up in a moment of show and tell and without prayer, without seeking the face of God. They just took everything at face value and signed on the dotted line and said, we will make, pay, we will make peace with you. I wanna tell you tonight, the devil's never gonna come along and say, will you go to hell with me? The devil's never gonna come along and say, what is the price of your marriage or what is the price of your family? What the price of your children, no, no, it'll never be that. It's always gonna be a show and tell. It's always gonna be a story. He'll always paint it to look better than it really is. That's why, that's why the redeemed of the Lord have gotta back away and say, Lord, I need to pray first. I, I'm not trying to just piggyback on Sunday, but if I would say so, we're gonna have to, amen, first things first. We gotta, we gotta make sure that God is in this thing, amen. Praise God. Serious decisions, life-altering decisions, dating and potentially marrying. We need to ask God what is right for us because God knows all things and he sees all things and God is on our side. Amen, God is on my side. He's on your side. He's able to give us direction even when we don't know which way to go, what to, where to turn. Amen, no matter how much you want it, no matter how much you feel like you can't live without it, and no matter how much you deserve it. Let me just bottom line this, if I may. Amen, if you can't afford it, God doesn't want it for you. If it's going to come with too high of a price, you need to walk away. I mean that in a physical way, literal way, and a spiritual way. You know, if you're not careful, when we just talk about finances for just a moment, if you're not careful, we can convince ourselves that we deserve something. <laughs> and we may be right. You've lived all these years. <laughs> You've been a good person. Well, you deserve that. You may deserve it. But if you can't afford it, you think about what you deserve. If you can't afford it, then we have to stop that silly conversation. It's not about what we deserve. It's not about what we've earned. It's what, not about what we have a right to. And so let's move away from the area of finance and just talk about, you see, God knows sometimes we can't afford this. 
We're not talking about dollars and cents now. This is gonna cost you way more than you ever think about. This is gonna cost you way more than you can calculate sitting right here. It's not about, amen, it's not about whether or not we deserve it. We've gotta ask ourselves, is this God's will for my life? Amen, I don't wanna be imprisoned by anything. I wanna be held back by anything. I wanna say, Lord, I gotta pray about this. I've gotta seek your will. And sometimes God says no, and we live long enough to see where what God was talking about. We live long enough to see the danger and what that would be. But I've had God say no and never explain himself. But I had to walk away with faith and confidence that the Lord knew something down the road that I could not see. I couldn't detect that. I can't feel it right now. It, in the moment, it seems like this makes sense. In the moment, this is what I ought to do. Joshua was standing right there in the holding stale and moldy bread in his hand, looking at dried up and shriveled wineskins this makes sense. This makes sense. But it was all a plot. It was a ploy. Amen. We don't need anything that takes us away from the presence of God. Every promotion, I've said this for years, every promotion is not a promotion. Every advancement is not an advancement. It might be the enemy. You see, the enemy, there were magicians that could lay their staff on the ground too. There were magicians that could do all manner of things in scripture. And the devil can do all manner of things well, as well. Amen, I don't need something that's gonna take me away from God. I don't need anything that's gonna get between me and the Lord, or me and my family. Amen, I, I, if I can't afford it, physically or financially, and if I can't afford it spiritually, it is not God's will, and I wanna stay away from that. Amen, I, I, it may be great, and it may be all wonderful in, in this moment, but it, it's not about this moment because we're not gonna continue to live in this moment. We're gonna continue to live beyond this moment, and it's where this moment is gonna lead me to. Praise God. And so, and so if, if let, let's, I'll, I'll just move from that. I said probably enough, maybe too much, but, I've never made a decision that I regretted when I asked God to be with me in that decision. But I have made decisions I regretted when I didn't keep God close enough to me in the decision-making process. Amen. Asking for and, and following God's will most assuredly doesn't mean smooth sailing. You can be right in the middle of God's will and right in the middle of a storm. Acts 27. Ship taken on water, people about to lose their lives, but Paul was in the will of God and those men on that ship were in the will of God and Paul had to holler among the wind and all the waves and said, an angel has stood by me this night and nobody's gonna lose their life. Everything's gonna be all right. We're all gonna make it safely to shore, amen. And you know what? They all did make it safely to shore, but they were soaking wet. They were battered and bruised. Some of them were holding on to pieces of the ship. Amen. <laughs> Maybe somewhere somebody heard Paul say that and thought just any minute the sun's gonna come out and the waves are gonna subside and the birds are gonna start singing. None of that happened, but they all made it just like he said they were gonna make it. They got there. They were waterlogged, nearly drowned. They were beaten and tattered, but they made it. And I'm gonna tell you that when we are in the will of God, it doesn't always mean smooth sailing. It doesn't mean always every report's gonna be the good report. It doesn't mean every turn's gonna be the raise or the promotion. It doesn't mean everything is gonna go our way, but it does mean that God will go with us every step of the way. That when we move, he moves. Hallelujah. Amen. 
this story is somewhat baffling. Joshua, you know, you would think after all he's been through, we could just ask the question, why wouldn't you think to pray about this? But if we're honest, we've all been right there. I mean, Joshua, you asked God about the Jordan River and he told you in great detail what to do and it came to pass. You asked him about Jericho and in great deal, great detail, he told you what to do and it came to pass. Even at Ai, God told you what to do and it came to pass. So why didn't you ask about this one? Moldy bread, worn leather water bottles. It all seemed so legitimate. It all seemed to make sense. We're from a long way away. We've been on the road a long, long time. Amen, maybe Joshua thought, what would it hurt? But three days later, Joshua would find out what it hurts. Joshua and the army came rolling into a town called Gibeon. The welcome wagon met them at the city limits, but the shocking thing was the fact that Joshua recognized a few of the faces in the welcome committee. He realized that he had made a huge mistake that these men weren't from miles and miles and miles away, but they were the next city over. They lived in the heart of the land that God had promised them. You're going to inherit, but Joshua, now you've joined leagues with them. You've, you've shook their hand. You've signed the dotted line. You've embraced them. You said everything is going to be all right. Israel went back to their camp at Gilgal, and that's where this mistake came back to bite them. One of, one of Gibeon's messengers came riding came riding into Gilgal with a message and this message was that Gibeon was under attack and it was here that five Ammonite kings banded together to attack Gibeon. Now, now Joshua and his army found themselves in a battle and I want you to hear this next part. part. Joshua and his army found themselves in a battle that was not their battle to fight. They were being called on to defend an ally that was really not theirs to defend. And they were being called on to help defeat an enemy who was not really theirs to defeat. They rode all night from Gilgal. And when they, when they got to Gibeon, they took this five army league by surprise and they forced them into retreat. I mean, God was with them. But let me just keep on here tonight. As they retreated, God rained down hailstones. And the Bible says more died in that battle by the hail than died by the sword. Amen, when Joshua realized that we're running, we're running out of daylight, I'm not gonna be able to finish this battle. Joshua prayed to the Lord and God heard Joshua's prayer and answered his prayer and he kept the sun shining long enough for him to win and the Amorites to lose. And so it sounds like, well, all's well that ends well, but not necessarily true because the story that we'd like to ignore is the story of all the people who lost their lives in a battle that they should have never been in, in a war that didn't belong to them, defending someone that was not their friend. You see, it always comes with a price. It always comes with a price. And so what is the point of this story? I'll ask our musicians to come if you will. So what's the point of this story? At the end of the day, Israel rode back to camp at Gilgal and God had undoubtedly wrought two miracles. God could have told Joshua, you got yourself into this, you get yourself out. I'm gonna tell you more than once, the Lord could have told me that. 
you got yourself into this. You just keep groping through the dark and make your way out of this. But that's just not how God works. God was gracious. He rained down hell. That was the first miracle. And he stopped the sun from setting. That was the second miracle. God worked a miracle that that should not have worked to win a battle that they should not have been fighting. But I ask you again, how many Israelites died defending Gibeon when it wasn't even there to defend? The Bible doesn't tell us, and so I'm not trying to add to the scripture tonight, but I think it's only fair for us to think logically that in a battle somebody lost their life. How many soldiers didn't go home because they were defending an army that they should have destroyed. Joshua, this would not be his only mistake, of course. The Bible says that later that Joshua was, slew all the giants in the land. That's kind of the implication of scripture. And it says only there remained Ashdod, Gath. Only there remained he got them all except for this. He got them all except for these. And when you leave something behind, you can rest assured that's gonna come back. Because it was in Gath that a little six-fingered boy was playing in the street, but he wouldn't stay a little boy. His name was Goliath, and they would all know him on a first-name basis one day. In Gaza, there would be a little girl named Delilah. Nobody knows her now. She's just a little girl playing in the street. But one day, that one singular name will be all you need to say to conjure up all manner of images. Amen. The Bible talks about when the the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. It was that city that Joshua spared where they took that Ark and hid it. You see, when you leave something undone, they'll always always be a price to pay. So all of this, because while Joshua was standing looking at worn leather, worn robes, worn shoes, and moldy bread, he didn't stop and pray. I'm not saying this in a critical way or condemning way. I'm saying this because we've all been right here in this same scenario. Maybe it wasn't moldy bread. Maybe it wasn't worn out shoes or or, or weathered worn wine skins, but something that convinced this, this is okay. And we just took that at face value and never once said, Lord, what's behind the scenes here that I can't see? I'm gonna ask you to stand. Had Joshua asked the Lord, I don't think I'm adding to scripture and I don't think I'm too far out here by myself. That when God was so specific at Jordan, when God was so specific at Jericho, and when God was so specific about Ai, I just am convinced that if, if Joshua would have said, Lord, what about this moldy bread? What about these worn shoes? What about these poor pilgrims standing before us that God could not in living color have shown Joshua exactly what was going on and it could have all been halted right there. If God has spoken and warned in times past, he'll certainly speak and warn today. Amen. Had he asked, God would have told him, 
and Israel would not have been dealing with Gibeon the rest of the days of their life. Because it was a treaty of sorts. He couldn't go back on his word. He couldn't say because you tricked me. But his word was his word. So here's what I believe the story teaches. I believe the story teaches us at a very fundamental level that prayerlessness is a very expensive way to live. Sure, prayer will cost you time and it'll cost you effort and it'll cost energy, but prayerlessness will cost us tears and scars and regret. It's worth the investment. If we don't know which path we should take, he knows. That's why we need to seek him. I am passing this information or this advice rather along. It was given to me decades ago. And my wife and I have lived by this faithfully. When we don't know what to do, we don't do anything until we have direction. And sometimes, and sometimes silence can be deafening. (laughs) And sometimes the pressure of others around you, staring, wondering, waiting, can create a pressure for you to move and respond and react. But I'm gonna tell you, when you don't know what to do, don't do anything until you have clear and concise direction. And so my advice to everyone is for every decision, pray about it. Amen, that's what Joshua would tell us. Pray about it. Amen, those not just major decisions. And I believe in life is filled with decisions. I don't think the Lord really wants us to talk to him about whether Diet Coke or Diet Dr. Pepper, but I do believe there are some things on the scales of our daily lives that we need to be asking God about. Not just when we're about to make a major transition or when we're about to make a major purchase or about to do something huge. I want God to direct my steps every day. Amen. David said, order my steps in your word and let not iniquity have any dominion over me. Amen, order my steps in your word. I wonder if we could just gather around the front and end our service this evening with family prayer. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.